0: Have you ever heard about him? No, some of you never heard of him. But tennis, is there any tennis champions here, or people who follow it who know Jonathan Stark? Anyone heard of him? He's a doubles player for America. But the reason I'm telling you that is almost there was another famous Jonathan Stark who's a cricketer and it was me when I was younger. And I almost became famous like this other Jonathan Stark in tennis, but it didn't quite happen. But even now, I loved cricket so much that when I was in under-12s, I think under-14s probably more likely, uh, I I would play in the morning and then I'd join the seniors in the afternoon just to field as well because I loved it so much and I wanted to to do it all the time. And now, it's funny, I've given the game away, I haven't played it for ages, but when I drive past a cricket oval and I look out on a hot day, the thoughts that come flooding back to me and not those moments when I sort of, you know, went like that and went, ah, oh, yes, got it, you know, or when I was on a hat trick or when I hit a six or something. You know, the, the, my mind, when I drive past a cricket field, goes back to about five o'clock in the afternoon, game finishes at six, in the absolute heat of the day, when we have been bowling and bowling and not got the opposition out, and, and they just seem unable, we seem unable to get that wicket. And I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm upset and I feel like taking my bat and ball and going home. <laughs> you know? uh, those are the thoughts that come flooding back to me because they were the most difficult times in cricket. And our captain or our coach would always say, these are the moments to make or break the game, guys. If you can stick with it at this time, if you can keep going at this time, we can win, we can get it. Don't drop a catch, don't give up, don't droop your head, don't stop. But boy, I felt like it. Cricket can make grown men cry (laughs) at five o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday in the heat of the day. Do you know when we did drop our head and we dropped a catch, it wasn't really that bad because there's always next week. But you know what I've noticed? Uh, there are very many similarities to the Christian faith. I mean, I can remember when I first became a Christian. I can remember how incredible it was, how everything was brand new and wonderful. I can remember the friends that I'd made and the people that were celebrating my new uh, found joy in following Jesus. And it was easy to follow God at that time. I don't know about you, but sooner or later each of us get to five o'clock in the afternoon. On hot days, where spiritually we feel like taking our bat and ball and going home. Where the last thing we want to do is keep following God. Where we feel like we don't know where he is and we feel dry. If you've ever been there... If you're there right now, God's been good to you and he's been good to me because he's given us the psalmist's words in Psalm 42. And tonight, this psalm and the psalmist's song in dry times can help get you through at times like this. If you've got your Bible, it would be great just to open it up tonight. Uh, to psalm 42 and if you you know have someone next to you you could show on with them if you wanted to but we're going to be looking right at it um one of the uh uh, one of the prominent kind of emotional conditions in the psalms is something called spiritual depression it's it's uh, something that Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book about. I have it in my office. It's a, it's a book called Spiritual Depression. And he wrote the whole book, a thick book, on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, if you look carefully at them, you can, you can see that they're actually one psalm, it seems, initially. See how there's no heading on Psalm 43. And if you can see in verse 5 of Psalm 42, there's this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why does so disturbed within me? And that's the refrain at the end of Psalm 43 as well. It seems that initially they were one psalm, but they've been broken up along the way. And tonight, as we look at Psalm 42 together, we're going to see uh, the spiritual depression happening in the life of the psalmist. And, and today, this cry of, why are you downcast, on oh my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Shows the level of difficulty and despair that the psalmist is facing. I want you to notice the title. Psalm 42 starts and it says, For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20 and verse 19, it describes what they were like in action. Listen to it. It says, Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites, that's them, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice, it says. So the heading of this psalm impl- implies that this psalm was probably used in worship. It was probably a, a psalm that was sung in, in, in worship. You know, the, the Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms is, is filled of song, with songs. Songs that were sung to God. They're poems that, that are written to God. And they're, they're written to awaken and really express and shape our emotional life as we sing to God, as we lift up our hearts, this kind of poetry that exists between us and and God and and speaking to God, the God who made us. We come to realise who God is as we look at these psalms and as we sing them and read them. Our emotions are massively important as we come to God, to engage with Him and to, to not just... Intellectually, come to him, but come to him with our feelings. The second thing, apart from noticing that this is a psalm that we're in tonight, a song, is that uh, this one's called a masculine, and it's not really clear what the word means. If if I'm honest, um, that's why most a lot of versions in the Bible don't translate it. Um, but it comes from a Hebrew word that seems to mean to make someone wise or to instruct. That's what a, a mass was. And so when it applied to Psalms, it may well mean a song that instructs, you know, a song that teaches, a song that is wisely crafted to help us uh, you know, learn as we sing it. And so mass schools, it seems, were songs that were meant to instruct God's people as they gathered and as they sung them together in worship. And uh, it says to the choir master, to the director of music, to the, to the one uh, who's the director of the music. So the psalms, the songs, and then to instruct us and to inform us. And Jesus taught us that uh, they, were, they were inspired by God and they intend to shape our minds and the way we think and they intend to shape the way we feel and our hearts and our, our, our emotions. And if we look at the Psalms and as we look over it this week and over the next few weeks as we look at this series a hunger for God, how can we continue to have a hunger that longs to know God more deeply? Our prayer is that as we engage with these Psalms, we will come to know God much deeper and to really sense him speaking to us and moulding us and shaping us. So Psalm 42, what's, it, what's going on in this psalm? What's happening here? Um, first of all, I'd just like to run through it quickly to show you some of the things that are in there. And then I think there's six kind of things that the psalmist does in this psalm that I think are really helpful for you and I when we're in dry, spiritual dry places and how we can respond. First of all, just as you look at the psalm, um, externally the psalmist's circumstances are oppressing. I mean there's no other word to look at it. If you look in verse 3 it says that his enemies say to me all day long, where is your God? I don't know if you've had that but enemy saying to you all day long where is your God can't be very encouraging can it and so verse 10 says the same thing only it describes the effect that this is happening on him it's causing deadly wounds look what he says in verse 10 my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long where is your God and the taunt, where is your God, implies that people are looking at the psalmist, looking at his circumstances and seeing, well, if this is happening to you, where is your God? It looks like he's been abandoned by God. And so people are taking the opportunity to come and say to him, oh, where's your God? I mean, this can really hurt, can't it? And this is what he's facing. The eternal emotion, emotional condition of the psalmist is, is depressed and he seems to be full of turmoil at this point. In verses 5 and 11, he describes himself as a downcast. You know, he says, why, why are you downcast? So disturbed. In verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. Can you imagine it? You know, he's, he's so... Uh, so down that it's only his tears as they fall down from his eyes that become his food. He, he, he's eating them. He's crying. And, and he's just so sad. He's so discouraged to the point of crying day and night. In verse 7 he says he feels like, he, like he's drowning. All your waves and, and breakers have swept over me. And yet, in all of this, there's kind of this fighting that he has to hope in God. In the midst of all of this, he's, he's, he's trying to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep hoping in God. Verse 5 Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, yet for, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. And verse 11 again, why are you downcast O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. He's not surrendering to the emotions of discouragement. He's fighting back. He's struggling, but he's fighting back. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've picked up my Bible and turned uh, through to Psalm 42. Uh, When feeling like it's five o'clock in the afternoon in cricket spiritually, when feeling like it's taking everything within me to keep going, in times of heaviness and discouragement, this miserable emotion will pass. I have to keep telling myself. This season will pass. Don't be downcast, I've had to say in the past. Look to Jesus. The the light will dawn. There will be a new day. There have been so many times on my journey when friends who have been dear to me have walked away from the faith. People who I've prayed with and Worshipped with, and it can be really hard when that happens. I mean, there's been times when I've had people who've been my spiritual leaders who fail morally, just terribly. And people around me have looked at their failures and just thought, well, if that's what it's about, if that's what following Jesus is like, and they've walked away. And in the midst of that, it can be very, very discouraging. Sometimes I've felt such just dryness in my walk that it's been very difficult to feel the closeness of God. And yet, these words from the psalmist, "Put your hope in God," have been ones I've returned to time and time again. It's been my prayer. Through times like this. Psalm 42 has become one where I have often found comfort in crying out with the psalmist. And here he is, his external circumstances are oppressing and yet his internal emotional condition is, is depressed also and full of turmoil. But he's fighting for hope in the midst of it. And he's trying to hang on. And and really, the remarkable thing is at the end of the psalm, he's still fighting. He hasn't won the battle. Victory, it's not like, and, and wow, we will come in, bringing in the shears, singing hallelujah. No, at the end of the psalm, he's still saying, oh, I'm still just trying to hang on. The last words of the psalm and the last words of the next psalm are: "Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why, you know, why so full of so disturbed within me? Hope in God. Put your hope in God. For yet will I praise Him, my Saviour and my God. He leads. He leads. Leaves us." fighting for the joyful experience of hope and freedom from turmoil, and yet he's not praising yet the way he wants to. He's still longing for it. He's still hoping for it. Is it a, a happy ending? Like almost everything else in life, it's kind of mixed, isn't it? His faith is really amazing. And his fight is brave. But he's not where he wants to be in hope and in peace and in praise by the end of the psalm. So I guess this psalm is here and in the Bible by God's design to speak to us we listen carefully tonight to what the psalmist does, if we watch what he does in the midst of his struggle, if we think about um, the way that he reacts in, this, in these circumstances, on one hand how he feels with his emotions, on the other hand how he thinks about his life and how he comes to God in that, uh, I hope that tonight we will be shaped in our journey and when it comes to the dry times or right now, if you're in those times, that this will be helpful. And then we will become like, you know, what Psalm 1 starts out, they'll be like trees planted by streams of water that bear fruit in season. And right in the tough dryness time, they're still flourishing. So how, how does the psalmist respond in this time? What's the psalmist response in Psalm 42 in the midst of dry times that can help us? Uh, what does he do? Well, I think the first thing that he, he does is that he asks God why. He, he, he says, uh, why, God? Look in verse 9. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy. You know, the word forgotten is, is an overstatement. I and mean, we say these things when we're really down, don't we? Oh, this is the worst day of my life, or I wish I was dead, when we don't really, you know. But I think the psalmist here is saying, you know, why have you forgotten me? And I think it's in the midst of despair that he's saying that. Um, I think he knows he's over exaggerating. Because he's just said in verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. So he knows he hasn't forgotten him. He just means that it looks like God's forgotten him. It feels like God's forgotten him. And if God hasn't forgotten him, why aren't his enemies being driven back? Why aren't they consumed? Why isn't God helping me? And it would be good if all of us were so composed and so careful that we just said the right things all the time. But we, like the psalmist, sometimes just say things like that too. And, you know, when we start out in the journey we often think that things are just going to be fine now we're trusting in Jesus, don't we? We think we've given our lives to him, now he will look after us and protect us and lead us and all our enemies will be held at bay. But when they're not, it can be quite disconcerting. And the psalmist asks God why. He asks why. It's a legitimate question. He may not have asked the question with all the correct theological responses, But if he asks the question and continues to wrestle with God, in time he'll know that God has not forgotten him and that we'll see that God is still with him. Second thing he does, he asks God why. The second thing he acknowledges, uh, God's sovereign love. Right in the midst of this time, he actually focuses in this dark time and and affirms and and, and acknowledges God's sovereign love. Have a look in verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life, he says. And in verses 5 and 11, he calls God my saviour. And my God, and even though he says it looks as if God has forgotten him, here he never stops believing in god 's absolute sovereignty, uh, over all all of creation and over even his adversities. like He, he knows that God is sovereign uh, over his enemies. He, he knows that, and so at the end of verse seven, he says, "All your waves and breakers have swept over me. you know he, he feels like Uh, he's in the midst of turmoil, but he says, they're your waves, God. You know, they're not all these random waves. You have allowed these to come. And I know, God, that you're sovereign. And I know that this is part of what you're doing. In other words, all the crashing, all the confusion, all the oppressing and discouraging circumstances were waves of God. And he never loses grip, though, on the great truths about God. That though he's in this little boat of faith, they keep him. Uh, the truths of God keep him balanced and not falling out and sinking. He keeps clinging on to the truths of God that He's a loving God, that He's sovereign, that He's in control. Many of you have learnt this through pain uh, in your life reasons that you perhaps never really are able to fully know why you've faced some of the most difficult times. You can remember periods where it's felt like you've been on that little boat and you've known that at this time more than any other, you just have to cling on for dear life, that God is loving, that God is sovereign, that he's in control. And even in the midst of these circumstances, he knows what he's doing. And you've learned deeply that it's no relief to kind of just say this is, you know, that, to say that God does not rule the wind and the waves. That doesn't help. So the psalmist affirms God's sovereign love for him through all the troubles. And you know what he does next? Kind of, I think he must have done this next, is he sings. There's a song in the midst of it all. In verse 8, it seems that he sings to the Lord at night, pleading for his, his life. Kind of says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast night love. Sorry, At night his song is with me. I'm carrying a song in my heart. In the very deep, darkest struggle, I'm singing this little song, a prayer to the God of my life. It's not a jubilant song. It's not a, uh, a song of jubilation and praise. But it's a song of deep hope. It's a song, a prayer, a pleading song to the God of my life. He's pleading for his life. I think it's amazing that he's singing in this prayer. My guess is where, this is probably where Psalm 42 came from. You know, maybe this song is the very song that he was singing in his life at these times. Not many of us can Compose songs when we're discouraged and when we're weeping by day and night. But it seems he did. You know, I love uh, Negro spiritual songs. There's a weird thing about me. I just love them. You know, like they were just so old. And yet, oh, there's something about them that just gets me. And uh, the thing I love about them most is that in the early 1900s, you know, slaves, Negroes, out in the cotton fields getting... Um, are treated so badly, um, just getting oppressed and abused, and um, it just just such a horrible life. They sang, and they sang songs of hope. You know, I'll, I'll try try and sing just a few to you. But one of them they sang is just one that goes like this: Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. Isn't that a beautiful song? I mean, you can imagine, you imagine know, working in the cotton fields and you're just getting picked on all the time and everything. nobody knows what's going on, but Jesus knows. And it's all right. You know... Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. You know, I'm I'm in the midst of slavery. This is terrible. But the chariot's coming, and one day I'm going to be with him. There's this beautiful song that just says, Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. And this Negro guy's just sitting there singing, saying, I just want to slip away. I want to steal away from this life to be with Jesus. It's just a song, a song of hope in the midst of the deepest despair. And perhaps tonight, while we sang God is Here, you didn't feel like singing it. But I think God is Here is a song of faith and hope in the midst of really difficult times. It's a declaration that in the midst of tough times, I'm singing a song. He's here. Let the brokenhearted rejoice. I'm one of those. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Oh, God is here. His wonders to perform. Gee, I don't feel like that, but boy, I'm going to sing that. It'll be my song in the midst of the night, in the midst of the struggle. He sings i got to love this psalmist. The next thing he does is he starts preaching to his own self. You know, he starts preaching to himself. Right there in the midst of this, he starts to speak. And look, look what he says in verse 5 Why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet will I praise him, my Saviour and my God. Can you see what he's doing? If you look at the psalm in verse 4, he's saying, These things I ponder. He's talking out, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the multitude. And then he comes down to verse 5 and he starts talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. It's kind of like he's grabbing his brain and saying, Hey soul, who I really am, you need to hear this. Why are you so disturbed? Within me. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. How crucial this is in the fight for faith, where we kind of learn to preach the truth to ourselves. It's so important for us to do this. In Martin Lloyd Jones's book in page 21. Uh, He he has this quote, I think it's great. He says, have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. You get what's happening? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Gee, we need more of that, don't we? I mean, we really need to get a rational grip and start talking to ourselves rather than just listening to what comes up all the time. On this side of the cross, we know that the greatest ground for hope, the greatest reason that we can have hope is Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. He, he's died for our sin and our suffering and he's risen from the dead. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's triumphed over the grave. So the main thing that we must learn is to preach to ourselves the gospel. You know, we must just affirm that to ourselves. It will be kind of like you know taking up part of what it says in Romans 8. You know, And sort of reworking it into our own words. Things like, listen, self. <laughs> if God is for you, who can be against you? He Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you? How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? That condemns you. Imagine talking to ourselves in this sort of way. You know, Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? If we talk to ourselves like that, taking up some of the promises of scriptures, what a difference it would make. You know, this morning we had a handout for you to take um, on who I am in Christ. Just something that had been helpful for me from a book, you know, A Victory Over Darkness from Anderson. And and we just have a page that, you know, photocopied has all the promises in the Bible for those that have faith in Christ. You know, I'm a new creation, I'm a child of God, you know, I've been forgiven, I've got I've set free, I've got a hope and a future. And you know, you can just look at all these and see where the verses are and 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 you could grab that and speak to your soul every day. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Let's try that. Wouldn't that be good? Then what he does is he remembers past experiences. He, he recalls the past experiences to mind. He remembers the past, the, the experiences that he had when he was at worship, when he was in the temple, when he was praising God. Look what he says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I, this is verse 4. As I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the, thrist, uh, the festive throng. Oh, he, he remembered. He remembered the times of great intimacy in worship that he had where he was with God's people and he was praising God. And you know what? I think this just reminds us that not to take the privilege Of corporate worship for granted. You know, tonight we're gathering together and we're able to praise God with one another. We're able to say, Hallelujah, praise God, and no one's arresting us or threatening us, and we're free to do that. And tonight, as we worship God, let's just not forget what's at stake here as we come. And you know, He doesn't look back and go, Gee, I remember how great it was when we had that fantastic church and the great sound system and I loved the way that we met, you know, the seats were comfortable. You notice in what he's saying, as he says in verse 4, he's saying, you know, I remember as I used to pour out my soul, you know, the things that he's remembering is the incredible times of worship and intimacy with God. I could pour out my soul to him with other people there at the corporate worship. It was incredible how much more serious we should take our times together. You know, as you come at night, as you come to worship God, this is incredible. Oh, how I long, may you say, you know, to come to worship God. I just want to pour out my soul to Him. Ask God to show you what's at stake here as we gather each week, and then finally, He 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 thirsts for God. He thirsts for God. Like a deer pants for the stream. You can imagine a deer that's been trying to run away from a hunter, and, and perhaps it's exhausted and it's, it's getting run down and it's tired, and it's, you know, really, really uh, coming to exhaustion point. As the deer verses one and two, as the deer pants for streams of water. So my soul pants. For you, O God, my soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Where can I go and meet with God? I think what makes this so beautiful and so crucial for us is that he's not thirsting for relief from the enemies. Did you notice that? He's not asking his circumstances to all be sorted out and changed. What he's thirsting for here. Can you see it? He's thirsting not for an escape from his enemies or for, uh, from their destruction. And it's not wrong to pray that your enemies will stop hurting you and, and saying nasty things about you. It's it's sometimes right to pray for, for defeat of your enemies. But more important than that to this psalmist is God himself. That's who he's thirsting for. We come to love God. We come to want to see God. We want to be with God. We want to know that God is here. We want to praise him. We want to worship him because only he can quench the deep, deep thirstings of our soul. In the midst of where you are now, as we wrestle with what the psalmist has responded to, may you thirst and long for, for Jesus, thirst and long for God, and, and come and pray to meet, that you'd meet him face to face in these times. See, a likely translation that we could kind of say this verse's meaning in verse 2 of Psalm 42. It says, when can I go and meet with God? And, and what it's kind of meaning there is when... Will I come and see God face to face? When will I have this personal, intimate transaction with God? And the answer to that is surely found in John 14, 9 and in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Paul said that when we are converted to Christ, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. As you look to Christ, as you look to Jesus, as we see his face, we see the face of God. We see him and we respond to him face to face. When we hear the story of the death and resurrection of Christ, when we respond to Jesus, the risen Lord, then we see God face to face. May in the midst of your times of dryness, may you long and yearn for more of God as you look to Christ. May you see him face to face. Let's pray tonight, shall we? God, tonight, some people are here who really feel like it's so hard to go on. Lord, I pray tonight that at this time you'd give them the courage, the courage to cry out to you. the courage to sing in the midst of their sadness, to sing a song of hope. God, we pray you'd help them to remember the times when you've spoken to them and revealed yourself so clearly. And God, I pray that you would just give them a bubbling thirst that would keep their eyes on you and longing for you right through this time. And God, I pray that you would help each one who's feeling dry and, and really like they're in a place of discouragement tonight. To know that you're with them. To know that your love is surrounding them. To know that you're sovereign. And that though they might not feel it now, that they might hold strongly to that. And God, that they would thrive even in the midst of this challenging circumstance. May they cling to you and know that you're with them at this time. God, may we have faith that endures right through this time because we know you, Lord Jesus. We know you're walking with us. This is our prayer tonight to you, God, who's more than enough for us and able to help us in all our circumstances. In Jesus' name. I mean